Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 143 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here, along with Kurt Mortensen. It's a hot day in June. We're excited to be with you, excited to talk about more persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques. Welcome to the show, Kurt. How you been? Hey, been a great day so far. It's in June, a little fatigue from some traveling, but uh, we're here at uh, 72.3% and feeling good. Awesome. Well, that's great. On a day where we need all 100, Kurt's at 723 <laughs> last week, and check it out if you haven't already. We had Wes Schaefer, the sales whisperer on the show, with a lot of great techniques and and tips and tricks for you to consider when you're out there persuading. And actually has a big marketing background too, Wes does. So that was a great interview. And now, Kurt, it's back to you and I to do the heavy lifting. Wes kind of gave us the week off there. But we're going to talk about some good things on the show. I want to remind everybody, first of all, go to universityofpersuasion.com. We've been really beating on this for a while on our shameless plug segments of the show. But if you want to be better at anything... All it requires is some daily effort and some supervision by a professional. That's what it takes. And that's what we're here to do. You can get that at University Persuasion. If you're really serious about becoming better at what you do, influencing and persuading more people, we have daily tips and tricks that you can use at universitypersuasion.com. Go check it out. We guarantee it'll make a huge difference. It's a little bit every day, a new tool every day. I mean, just doubling the amount of tools that you use is going to double your income and double your success. I mean, it makes a huge difference in everything you want to accomplish. I think sometimes people, when we say that, oh, really, come on, a little bit of an eye roll. But remember, I had to fix some things in my house this weekend, and I was missing a particular tool. I didn't have it. I had to go to Lowe's. And it was an expensive trip to Lowe's, as it always is, right? you got to go two or three times. You get the wrong tool. You don't know how to use it. My point being is when you need the tool, A, it's too late to go get it, and B, it's too late to learn how to use it. you got to think about this stuff ahead of time. So if you're proactive on your persuasion and your influence techniques, you learn a new tool every couple of days or every week, you're adding to the arsenal, think out over the next year, how many more deals are you going to be able to close because you were proactive? You had that tool ready when you needed it. Chances are you probably don't even know how many deals you're really missing out on until you take advantage of something like this. What do you think about that, Kurt? Oh, you're right on. And like I was doing research for Persuasion IQ, I asked people, estimate, right? Over the last 10, 20 years, how much money have you lost with your inability to persuade? And I averaged them all up, and it was $4.3 million a person yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that they had lost. And think about it, relationships, lost income, lost deals, deals didn't go through, people that didn't close. It makes a big difference. Yeah, we, we talked about how when you're in a moment of stress, you default down to the level of your training. And I think we've all had those moments, especially when you're in junior high or high school, you got in an argument with somebody. And after it was over, you thought of the best comeback ever. You know, why didn't I say that? And that translates into when you're an adult, when you're earning a living and when you're persuading, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Well, you defaulted down to the level of your training. You weren't trained. So you want to stop doing those dumb things? Universitypersuasion.com. How's that for a tagline? There you go. Don't be dumb. Yeah, don't be dumb. <laughs> all right. Okay. Every now and then we have to insult all of the listeners. There we go. Not just a select few. Yeah. 
but everyone needs to get it every yeah, once in a while. Some of you feel left out, right? <laughs> if you're not uh, a cat lady or Iranian, or I don't know what the whole rest of the list is of uh, listeners that we've insulted, but uh, there you go. So let's get on with the show today. Kurt has an excellent article, and he has just been itching to press the Urkel button. I'm going to give him that opportunity now. Okay, Urkel, go. <laughs> there it is. Uh, there it is, our favorite. All right, let's talk about this article. I want to say it's from Anxiety and Stress and Coping Magazine. That, no way. <laughs> that is one. That's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Uh, so I'm not sure who's subscribing to this all the time, but hey, if it, it's on your night shelf, let's, this is a good thing. So here's the title. Just think if you can get this. Your colleagues are more likely to be jerks on this day of the week. <laughs> so they actually had to study this, and, and they went through different professions. And when were people the honoriest, the meanest, and more likely to get into a fight? And I don't think it's any shock that it's Monday. <laughs> it's one of those, well, duh. Yeah. But there's some interesting things here that they call it incivility, where people are, you know, just not mean and kind of vindictive and likely to be angry. That as you move from Monday to Friday, the likelihood of experiencing workforce incivility dropped by seven, almost seven to eight percent every day. The closer you got to Friday, the nicer people were. And I think, well, that's obvious. So it appears that people might dislike Mondays enough that they're more likely to go out and pick fights with their coworkers. And just real get mean and angry. So, and this makes a lot of sense. Though it's Monday for the weekend, no one's like Mondays. I heard that most heart attacks happen Monday morning. <laughs> so, this is important for a couple reasons. Now, one thing that was interesting in the article it says married men were the least likely to dread Mondays. Now, I don't know if they were not happily married men <laughs> enjoying to go to work on Mondays. They didn't explain that, but I thought that was pretty interesting. How married men didn't mind going to work on Mondays. But a couple things here that are really interesting here. If you need to ask for a raise or have that important meeting, get away from Monday. And we've talked about it on the show before that mood matters. So Monday, you got to be careful of other people's moods, your own mood. And I want to point out, too, the headline. We've talked about the Zagarnik effect before. That's a great tool where suspense, curiosity, things that are unfinished tends to keep us on more alert. We want to know about it more. Because if this article would have said more people are jerks on Mondays, we would have went, well, duh. And you might not have looked at it. But they use this kind of intriguing suspense. Your colleagues are more likely to be jerks on this day of the week. and You are more likely to take a look at it. That's a different thing. Some good pointers to help out. Be careful of Mondays. People are just going to be meaner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, duh. It, I mean, we record this podcast on Mondays, and we sit there and we insult our listeners. This is not a surprise. <laughs> so do we are careful of Mondays. Save your persuasion for middle of the week if you can. <laughs> yeah, good idea, and not to the end of the week because nobody's going to want to talk to you. Just they're they're too busy checking out. Yeah, they might be nice at Friday at five, but they're just nice because they're trying to get rid of you because they want to go home. So Wednesday is the big deal closing day. Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday morning, getting closer, you're getting to Friday, going home. I would be careful because people will be more rushed. That's a whole other thing that affects persuasion. But, yeah, choose a good persuasion day like Wednesday or Thursday. Pick your favorite time and make it yours. Kind of sort of off topic about Wednesday, and I go off topic a lot, and somehow we still have listeners, so I'm going to go ahead and do it here. But we went to Disneyland last year, my family and I did, and... 
we did all this research about when it's not crowded. And I don't know that it's ever not crowded when it's not so crowded. And we, I think it was first or last weekend in February, sometime we went, that was in the window where it wasn't very crowded and it was super crowded. Okay. <laughs> we were waiting in line forever just to get into the stupid park. And I was all grumpy. So I was asking many of the Disneyland employees about this. I said, is there like a particular day of the week? I'm wondering if we just came on the wrong day. And they all said, oh, you should come on Wednesday. Oh, really? Wednesday? Yep. Yep. Because people always want to try to get their weekend in as part of their travel or as part of their time at the park. And Wednesday statistically is the farthest away from the weekend. Wednesday, there you go. So Disneyland or Persuasion, Wednesday's your day. Wednesday's your day, exactly. <laughs> People are too busy working getting persuaded on Wednesday, so you can go to Disneyland if you don't have any deals to close. And statistically, that's the best day to fly, too, because I think flights are cheaper that day. I have noticed that, yeah. yeah. Always get upgraded on a Wednesday. Yeah, not a Friday. Never a Monday or a Friday, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's good stuff, Kurt. And you are in the middle of quite a travel schedule right now. I think you were out in the Empire State. You know, Kurt always goes to these weird cities. They sound like they're from a child <laughs> storybook. You're going to offend more people here. So Manhattan, I don't think, well, it might be weird in your book. It was in Jersey, Manhattan, then Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, home of Lehigh University, spent some time out there. And, and I'm, I'm appreciating the West Coast today because, man, they just dinged me at every turn. Bridges at $16 a pop and toll road over here and i'm like ah oh, we forget on the west coast that on the east coast it's all tax and toll it is it is it ain't even worse i had a little extra time so i said well just put me kind of by the beach by, by jfk there's some beaches around there i love jogging on the beach and i had a couple hours before dark and i'd be flying out early the next morning and got my jogging shorts on and closed closed beach is just closed closed because there's a bird called a turn which i'd never heard of and this is their breeding grounds and you're not allowed to go on the beach <laughs> Come on. Really? <laughs> really? I'm like, oh, man. So I jogged with the exhaust in the cars. and anyway. Isn't that more of a, if you're going to the beach in San Francisco thing, you'd expect that? Uh, I've seen it with turtles in Florida things. That was a new one for me. I, I Well, anyway, long live the turn. Long live the turn. We didn't even know they existed. Now we do. I wouldn't even know what it looks like if I saw a turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a scam. They're up to something on that beach. Yeah, something's up. Radioactive something. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason I bring up Kurt's rigorous travel schedule is he's been teaching a workshop lately for a lot of companies called Influencing When You Don't Have Authority or Position. Now, that's interesting because people think that you have to have authority. You have to have position in order to influence. And increasingly, as we get more bureaucratic and Nobody wants to be held responsible for anything. These companies are spread out. They make it harder and harder for anybody to do anything because nobody wants to take blame for anything. So if you're a mid-level operator or even a high level and you need to influence upward, you don't have any authority or position over the person whom you're trying to influence. This is a problem. This is an issue that people are continually dealing with. So Kurt, that's what we wanted to discuss today. First question is, how much harder do you think it is to influence without authority and position? I'm not saying that it's harder, but it's different. I mean, when you're the boss, they're supposed to, it's a little easier. We're used to do it, do it, you're fired, do it, this is your job, this is what you need to do. It's just different. And the mindset 
here, I think screws people up a little bit because they think, oh, I've got to talk to the CEO, I've got to talk to the vice president, I've got to work with the team, we're all equal authority, no one's going to listen to me. And that really damages the way they persuade because they're going to a situation where they don't think they have any power or influence. And that's the first thing you got to do. When you're going to talk to the CEO or that vice president, you're influencing up or influencing to the side, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, what power do I have? Now, remind you, power increases your ability to influence and persuade. And we all have power in these situations. You think you're powerless because you don't have this position. You don't have the title. But you do have power. You work there. You have power. So a couple things to think about. You have your knowledge power. You're the expert in your area. You have all these years of experience that you have that you know better than them about your area. So this knowledge gives you power. You know, when a mechanic says your blinker fluid's low. Yeah, <laughs> okay. you got to have blinker it's, fluid. <laughs> Which doesn't exist, but their knowledge, whether it be a mechanic or a lawyer, gives them power. And you have this power. Again, here's the main thing. You never go into a situation without thinking, what power do I have? Because you have power. Maybe you have the relationship power. When people like you and trust you, we've talked about this, it increases your chance of influence. If you've known them, you like them, they trust you, there's a connection there, that is a form of power. Maybe there's an exchange that can happen, reward power. Hey, I'll do this for you, you do this for me. I will recommend this and you'll do this. That is a form of power. That is the big thing that I see. People are like, what can I do? It's the CEO. No, there's a lot. Maybe you've worked there 10 years. Maybe there's someone that can recommend you or endorse you. If you're going to a team of all equal authority and you know that two or three of them worked with somebody else, that somebody else has worked with you, have them recommend you and endorse you and build that trust because trust is a form of power. So the main thing, first thing is, is, Okay, you have power, identify it. Is it an exchange? Is it your knowledge? Is it the relationship? Is it the trust? Is it the history? Is it something that you can do for them? There is something there, and it always exists if you'll take the time to identify it. Right, and when we're talking about power, this is pretty funny that you bring this up in this terminology. I, I was watching a little bit of a, a series that I like to watch. I, I won't name the name, but many of the listeners will know what it is. It takes place in an ancient time, and it's known for being pretty brutal about how life was like in the medieval ages. And there is a character who is an advisor to the queen, and he is wanting to persuade the queen about on some particular point. I don't even remember what it is. And he happens to know a pretty terrible secret about the queen. And they're walking through this courtyard, and her guards are nearby, and, and he says, well, I know this thing, and I know that knowledge is power. And she turns, and she gives him this stone-cold look, and she says, seize him, and all the guards pin him against the wall. They get their swords out, and she says, bring me his head, and they're about to do it, and she says, you know what, never mind. I've changed my mind. Mm -hmm. And then she looks at him, and she says, power is power. <laughs> it, she did this to demonstrate that, yeah, you might have some knowledge, but I have this. Uh, there is a difference there. And sometimes when we're saying, well, I know this or I have this power over you, uh, people can resent it pretty strongly, can't they? they it's more, it needs to be more implied in some cases, or, or can you be that blatant about it? Well, sure. If you're using psychological power or blackmail power, <laughs> <laughs> there's short-term compliance. It works. It's a tool that works. That's why so many people use it. That's the only tool they have. But that's why they've caught people doing strange things to their boss's coffee in the break room. Because if you say do it or you're fired, do it because you have to, what makes a 
normal human being do those despicable things to their boss's copy. It's because you back me in the corner, you make me do something, you blackmail me. Yeah, you might get something short-term, but long-term, there's resentment, rebellion. It could really backfire on you. Okay, okay. So what are a couple of things that people can start to put into play? I would imagine you have to lay some groundwork here if you're going to influence without authority and position. Where do we get started on something like this? Well, groundwork is a great word to use, and I know listeners do not want to hear this, but this is a process. Persuasion is a process. I know you want to be one and done, go into a quick five-minute meeting, tell them what to do, but all you're going to get is resistance. But there is a process, things you have to think through. Okay, first of all, what power do you have? Second of all, what's in it for them? How's this going to help them? How can I help them? What's the win-win here? Instead of just going in the data dumping what you think they should do. And another question that can be really important in this process or this groundwork is, okay, what could cause resistance here? And that just prepares you for any impending attacks, things that could happen. And I hear it all the time. When I ask this question at the beginning of the seminar is, okay, have you ever gone to, to another department? It was going to be five minutes. It was a no-brainer, win-win for everyone, and all you got was resistance. Uh, it's happened and to they me. got upset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone raises their hands. <laughs> Everybody says, well, we don't know what happens. Well, first of all, we're emotional creatures. Second of all, if you're going into IT and telling them which software that they should use, there's issues here. A, why are you recommending it? B, you probably just bruise their self-esteem. C, it's their department. There's so many issues that could be wrong with here, but most people doesn't even get on their radar that they just told someone what to do in their department and they can't believe they got resistance. But of course they did. They didn't think it through. What could cause resistance in this situation? And that makes the biggest difference in the world. Okay. So that's what, one thing we have to take into account. What's the ego in play of the people that we're going to persuade? Because we think it's a purely logical decision and you're making the point that that's not, that's not it at all. In fact, people do stupid things regularly because it's not about the logic. Well, and a couple things with that. A simple tool. We're programmed to come in, hey, do this, do this. We get resistance. But if you came into the IT department about this new software that you were intrigued about that you wanted, it might be simpler, and it is simpler for you to say, hey, you're the expert here. This is your department. Can I get your opinion? Can you advice? Here's the challenge. Here's the situation. I want to bounce this off you. What are you thinking? What have you seen? What do you know? Nine times out of ten, you're going to get the exact same thing, and you've helped them persuade themselves. And the other 10% of the time, you're going to probably get a better idea or a different idea you didn't think about because you just backed up a little bit and say, hey, can I get your opinion? Can I get your advice? What do you think? What would you do in this situation? And that makes all the difference in the world. Study after study shows that's so much easier. That was one of my favorite studies comes from World War II, Kurt Lewin, a social psychologist, was hired by the government to convince Americans to eat more intestinal meats. <laughs> Your favorite and mine, not hot dogs, but the stomachs, right, the intestines. And most cultures will eat it. They were shipping all the meat over to the war effort. They were running out. How do we use this? So they hired this guy to convince people. So he got this big room and did a rah-rah, do it for the country. Here's some recipe. Here's some samples. Go do it. And only 3% did it which is dismal. Then he just used this technique. He just brought people in a room and say, hey, we need some help here. We need your opinion, your advice. What do you think? What would you do? How would you persuade people? How would you convince people? And in that process, they persuaded themselves. Their ideas were good ideas. It went from 3% to 32%. Sure, maybe it took a few minutes longer, but they persuaded themselves. And yes, it can be that simple. Wow. So much of this, what I'm hearing kind of groundwork is it reminds me of that story you've told on the show about the dentist. And the guy goes in, 
He has a cavity. The dentist tells him how long, how much money it's going to take to fix it. And he says $400 or something like that. Well, how long is it going to take? Oh, a couple of minutes. $400 for a couple of minutes. And the dentist says, well, if it's the time you're worried about, I can take as long as you want. And, mm-hmm. and it's this knowing where, where to hit with the hammer. And that is a big piece of influencing upward or without authority or position. Many times you're fighting the battle that doesn't even need to be fought. That's exactly right. Or you're creating the battle. You're creating objections or you're creating your own resistance. And that's what's happened most of the time. You're creating resistance. And I said it earlier, what's in it for them? Now, if you think about this, this is what you're doing. You're going into this IT department and you want to recommend this software or you want to upgrade the software, let's say. So you're coming to them and say, okay, upgrade the software because you think, well, I upgrade my home computer all the time. You hit the button, ding, upgrades. But to an IT person, upgrade is what? More time, more support, more conflicts, longer hours. Can this team handle it? You're asking them to spend longer hours, have more conflicts, do more support over the phone. Hello? You never even got into their shoes and think, how could this benefit them? Right. Right? Is it maybe in the long run a a longer vacation or increased stock prices or helping the company or being a hero to the CEO or knowing, yeah, up front two weeks, it's going to be rough. But after that, you'll be able to work on these other projects together. And not thinking those things through. And people just have these blinders on. They don't even think about that. And that is so valuable to know when you're influencing up or to the side. Cool, cool. Okay, great. So lay groundwork, do some recon, figure out what problems might you be creating by making these requests. What issues are you creating for the people above you? And then also, what problems could you solve, actually, that you didn't know were there? Because if you could uncover that, all of a sudden, everything starts to fall in place, and these things happen much quicker, just like in regular persuasion, I think you would say. What else, what's one final thought for everybody to consider about influencing without authority and position? Well, first of all, remember, for those who have maximum influence, all 12 laws of persuasion work when you influence without authority or position. They work. You need to adapt them a little bit and adjust them, but the one law I want to bring up is a law of expectations. You know, what you expect with confidence or no confidence happens. Seen too many people going into a negotiation or at the end of a sale saying, you wouldn't be interested, would you? As <laughs> they shake their head <laughs> in the no fashion. They're going into these things with the expectations that they won't like them, they won't trust them, they're not going to do it, they're not going to accept them. That affects your demeanor, that affects your attitude, that affects everything. You're prejudging the situation and it sucks the life out of you and everything that you're doing. You've got to realize that your expectations are important here. The study shows that when you feel influential, you're more influential. And little expectations on how you walk into the room, your confidence. Handing them a pen with a contract increases the expectations they're going to sign it. Wiping your feet on someone's doormat increases the chances that you're going to walk in. It's important you understand you communicate these expectations with your voice, the words you use, your body language. Get in there. You're the expert in what you do. You deserve this, but you've got to really monitor your expectations. And what we've talked about before, how your thoughts control your emotions. And your emotions control your actions. If you're thinking about all the negative things that could happen, why it's not going to work out, that affects your emotions, your actions, and it's a downward spiral. You've got to go in there with your goals, knowing that you've asked yourself the questions about power, what's in it for them, what could be causing resistance. You've gone through different scenarios in your mind. Be prepared. When you're prepared, that makes the fear road away. It diminishes your prejudging, and it changes your expectations to where you're having more confidence That alone will make a huge difference when you influence up or to the side. Awesome. 
Good points, Kurt, on influencing without authority and position. I know you're headed out on the road this week to to really beat that drum some more at some various companies and organizations. So thank you for sharing some of those thoughts. In the meantime, I need you to cue up the homer. Our friend Homer, go! Don't, don't, don't! Here's Homer. This is a good one. Kurt, let, let's say that you were renting an apartment and you got a notice from your landlord that you needed to like the Facebook page of the apartment complex or your lease would be broken and you would be forced to leave. How's that going to go? <laughs> so I'm, if I don't like them on their page, I'm kicked out? Essentially, yes. <laughs> I predict mutiny. I predict maybe some tires getting slashed. I predict <laughs> some eggs thrown against the manager's window. I'm thinking, who in their right mind would do that? Try to force people to do that because they're going to resist you. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, this is coming actually our own backyard, an apartment complex. They were doing a grand opening for their pool, and they wanted to have some privacy about the pictures and things. So they were trying to get everybody on their Facebook page to limit the pictures there or something. However, the way this went out, it was very poorly uh, written, very poorly thought through. We'll post this on the blog for everybody to check out. I'm reading directly from the article. Tenants of the City Park Apartments received notice last week that they had to friend the apartment complex on Facebook within five days or be found in breach of the rental agreement. After complaints from residents, the law firm representing the complex issued a statement saying the addendum went beyond the intent of City Park Apartments and it will not be implemented. The document posted on tenants' doors Thursday about the addendum was included in a release allowing the apartment to post pictures of tenants and their visitors on the page. It said that residents were required to agree to not post negative comments <laughs> oh, the community on any public forum or page. I don't want to be forced to be someone's friend and threaten to break my lease because of that, a tenant, Jason Ring, said. It's outrageous as far as I'm concerned. So they had to walk this back big time. Uh, I think it went just like you said, mutiny. Everybody, uh, the apartment complex essentially going, okay, we're going to be about 60% vacant tomorrow. <laughs> if we don't rescind this, too heavy-handed. A lot of times, like we were talking about with power, uh, you might have the power, but it doesn't mean you're going to like the results if you use it. Yeah, there you go. That's your one tool persuader. Always using power. Probably a bully growing up. Probably so. <laughs> trying to force people to do things and, and try to limit people's freedom, and we know that never really works. <laughs> And you're thinking, really? People did this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that is a major blunder. Someone didn't think that one through. or Yeah, it just boggles my mind that that even happened. That nobody said, hey, well, wait a minute. We might get some resistance on this. Maybe you had a bunch of groupthink going on. Oh, good idea, boss. <laughs> That's just what I was thinking. This is groupthink at its finest. Somebody <laughs> had the idea, hey, we need to have a privacy policy. And then this just kind of snowballed. And before you know it, notices on doors. Like us or you're out of here. Yeah. Yeah, it's like waivers. Well, before you go on a date with me, you can't say anything bad on social media. Go ahead and sign here. <laughs> it's like dating us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fun stuff. So that's the blunder for the week. That's a pretty good one. Not the worst we've ever had, but I'd put it up there. Definitely like a 90th percentile. Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. That's, yeah, that's, wow. Wow. I can't even believe that happened. Everybody, thanks for listening to the show. We talked a lot about influencing without authority today. We had little bit of a shameless plugging, which you can always email us about. If we blundered our own product, feel free to let us know. Influence at gmail.com is where you can send us comments, questions. If you want to talk through any persuasion 
scenarios with us. We're happy to bring those up on the show. Tweet us at InfluenceMax and like us on Facebook. We will not rescind your membership. If you don't like us on Facebook, <laughs> you're welcome to continue to listen to the show. We'll catch you next week on another episode. Take care. Persuade with power.